Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Welcome to a classic big interview. This is where we dig into the vaults and choose an episode from the early days of the show. This time, we've gone all the way back to season 2017-18 and opted for one of our absolute favourites. This is what I had to say about it back then. Do enjoy. This time my guest is Andy Robertson, Liverpool's left back. Between Andy agreeing to appear on the show and meeting him at Liverpool's Melwood Training Centre... He put in a landmark performance in his team's wonderful 4-3 win over Manchester City. Lucky us, because this was still very fresh in his mind when we met. It's a long way from the fourth tier in Scottish football, where Andy started his career with Queen's Park, but he talked about experiences that gave him an important perspective on where he is now. He's come a long way. As I always say at the start of every big interview, um, we're with somebody that I admire, but we're with um, our youngest guest. Um, he's a Scot, and currently he's the darling of the cop, Andy <laughs> Robson. Thank you very much for welcoming us to uh, this historic training ground. It's a kind of nice place to go to work every day, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's always nice when you come through the gates. You know, it's, um, there's so much history behind Melwood and at the club, of course, but you know, Melwood um, back in the day, you know, when it's still here today, so it's a great place to come in every day. And um, you know, once you get here, you just you get excited for your day ahead. But a romantic old fool like me will be thinking back about you know Shankly and Ian St John and Jesus, all of whom played before you were watching football. And presumably, what Melwood means to you every day is a chance to be in the first team come a, come match day, but also the crack and, and you know the wet and the, the challenges and having a manager who's who brims enthusiasm. So when you come in, is is the past just really on a on a daily basis? You never even think about it. It's it's hard when you play with a club like this. You know, the past is obviously such a big a massive part of this city and this club. So but as you as you get comfortable, I wouldn't say I'm completely comfortable yet, but you know, as I come in, you know, a couple of months then you know, it's all about, you know, this is your workplace and you start getting a wee bit more used to it and, you know, thinking, you know, this is the time to, to work and, like you said, to try and get in the team on the match day on Saturday or it's a great environment to be in, the whole, every staff in here, all the all the players, um, you know, it's all, it's all good fun, but, 
um, when it's time to whack its, its head down and work hard. I was just sitting in the canteen and got a mug of tea and I looked out and the thing that stuns me is the grass is almost luminous. <laughs> it, kinda sh- it shines at you. What's the best thing about coming into work in a place like this every day? The smell in the dressing room, getting the boots on, I don't know, the, the crack. Do you feel the same when you see grass? We are, we're very privileged in what profession that we do you know a lot of people are stuck maybe behind desks and they don't get to like we're outside every day kicking a ball about which as a kid you you dream of and I'm sure people still my age will still think you know I wish I was doing that and it's the best job in the world I always say that and I'll always stand by it and um, when you come in you know if you're in this job and you're of course there's hard times but you know if you're moaning doing this job then um, you should look in the real world. The product of daily work is, is that thing that happened at the weekend you know whether you play for Liverpool or support Liverpool or City or not as games go right irrespective of your participation what have, have you ever seen or thought of a 90 minute match like that in your life before it was it was a game that was played at a million miles per hour you know we didn't get our breath back probably you know we were all in the change room and nobody was really speaking because it was just one of the ones like what did just happen out there and you know the gaffer I think he just let that loose in his you know post-match but you know, for a neutral point of view, I think, like, all my friends obviously have a look into me, but, you know, people you follow on Twitter and all that were just loving the game as a as a neutral, you know, lots of goals, two good teams going at it, and, and the attacking football was incredible. And defensively, you know, even though there were seven goals, there was still, you know, a lot of big challenges, you know, tight at the back, especially first half, and it was just one of the games that, that's football for you, it's one of the games that will probably go down and everyone will look back at, especially at the end of the season and go, you know, that was that was a right good game and, you know, the most important thing was we came out on top of it, that was, if you don't come away with the three points then I'm sure Man City have quickly forgotten about it, but what a game and it was brilliant to be a part of. I saw, you know, watching sort of heaps of talent, that's obvious, pace, commitment, but I wondered to what degree did strategy or tactics help you win the game and therefore I wanted to go back before it what was the manager's messages to the team or to the defensive unit or to you and and I'm also genuinely really interested for listeners no trade secrets obviously but one of the things that people probably don't think about a lot is that footballers are asked to carry quite a lot of information and if you play three times a week that's three different big chunks of information about team tactics, about an individual opponent. One, what's that process like under Jurgen Klopp for you or the team, the actual information delivery? And two, what happened on the pitch compared to what he was asking you all to do? As the manager and all the staff that are behind him, they, they don't leave, you know, their attention to detail is, is incredible. So, you know, like you said, we do get a lot of information before the game. We usually know how, how we're going to set up. You know, we that's what pre-season for. We drill it in and, and that's our favourite way to play. Of course, we've changed our formation a couple of times mm-hmm. this season where you need to adapt, but... You know, usually we ha- we have the same formation and we know where everyone should be. But against Man City, there's there's that much that they do that we were. I think we were quite lucky in the way that we played Friday against Everton and we had to the Sunday, so we had to, we had a whole week. So one day we could focus on ourselves, the next day we could focus on Man City. But sometimes you don't get that much time. No. And you know, I think it was just you know the gaffer just drilled into us that on our day we can you know we can cause people problems, and we showed that. We, had, we knew we, had, we were going to get tested defensively, which we did, but we tested them going forward and we, we capitalised on their mistake. Tactically, was, was, there a, a, was, there, was his point at any stage, I think that if your pressing is really intelligent, 
and they don't get time on the ball, they may make more mistakes than they've shown for weeks, or was that not an I idea? Think was, I think it was more try and press them as high up the pitch, because you know a lot of people go and play Man City now, and they just sit back and try yeah. and defend for yeah. 90 minutes. Yeah, some people might get lucky and get a draw, but they're, qual- they're, they're world-class players. You can sit back and, you know, I've been at Hull, of course, and against the big teams, we did just sit back and defend. Sometimes mm. we would get a nil-nil draw, but in other times, they would pick you off anyway. So sometimes it's better to have a goal, but we've got world-class players, so we knew if we could win the ball in dangerous areas, then we would cause them problems. And that's what, in that eight minutes that we scored three goals, I think that's what happened. You know, Mo Salah won the ball high up the pitch. Yeah. We forced the keeper into a mistake. We forced John Stones into a mistake that Roberto managed to capitalise on. So all these mistakes added up but I think it was because we were putting pressure on them high up the pitch and they didn't quite know how to deal with it I think you know that I've lived in Barcelona for 16 years now and I was so fortunate that when Guardiola took over at Barcelona I was able to be a witness and learn a little bit yeah. You know, because I do try and pay attention and pick up one of the things that the players said that wasn't commonly talked about was they were sort of hanging on every word Pep says and I know you're supposed to do that with every manager but all managers are different people communicate differently and he has this exceptional way of um, communicating but what they also told us that group of, of Xavi and Iesta Pique Messi whoever were like that. The, the more he tells us do this and this will happen and it happens our belief becomes total you know so have you experienced that when you see kind of what he tells you to or the group of coaches tell you to do and on a game like Sunday it all comes true in that in that those three big moments that change the game does it reinforce your enthusiasm for the message and your, your sort of belief yeah 100% you know I think it's you know no matter what kind of like level you play at it's easy to get you know a couple of clips and go look they do they do this but we have we have that much information that, that we get to see it you know in a lot of their previous games and we knew how they would set up we knew their full backs would go high and you know the gaffer kind of set us up a wee bit differently how to defend against that and make sure all the half spaces were covered when we go and press and don't leave any space in behind and we managed to do that so for instance if you know they like to switch the ball a lot because they've got pace on the wings whether it's you know on my side it was Sterling and Walker so whoever it was is, is rapid yeah. so we, I was maybe waiting to go across and then you know I had a midfielder that was inside me because that kept the centre-backs in and the midfielder could cover the ball down the line. Because Man City's movement is, this season especially, has been ridiculous. That's why they're 12 points clear and realistically they'll probably go on and win the league and and it's all because of that. But luckily we managed to stick to the plan that the manager gave us. What's your level? What's the intensity of concentration when all of those things, those jigsaw pieces that you've just listed like that, you know, on a personal basis, what's, how, what's in your head? as you're doing all these things correctly I think you just get so fixed on the game really like I know myself I just go out there and you do need to remember these things of course you do because if you make a mistake with these things then you've not got a leg to stand on really because I told you, you know, the, the manager will say you know we showed you but you know I think that's maybe why the game was closer than it was because we put so much into 86 87 minutes that you know, the last five minutes maybe, you know, it was just a wee bit of lapse in concentration and that's why we conceded day two goals and it was a wee bit tighter, really. It should have been a more comfortable evening uh, for us. But, like the manager said, I think in his pre-match, never mind post-match, he said it didn't matter if we won 1-0 or, you know, 3-2, 4-3. It was all about getting three points that day and we'll have to look at the last five minutes. But, you know, if you play that good for 86 minutes, then usually you've done enough. Objective achieved. Yeah. I, I'm not a great authority on NFL. I don't know if you know anything about American football. But it, it draws me in. So as I try and look back over the years, there's always something like Joe Montana's moment is called the pass. 
then there's always the catch. So let's talk about the run. <laughs> because it's got mythical stages already. Um, and I bet you're going to tell me I was just natural, of course. What was going through your head? What was I didn't really want to be that far out of position, if I'm honest. But when I came in, um, you know, I was thinking I was speaking to one of the lads about it. And it was just every pass back, they all gave me a sniff of the ball. I thought, I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. But, you know, if maybe the first pass was a wee bit firmer back to the... I would have left it, because that's me done my job. I forced my winger back. But at that moment in time, we'd just scored three goals. We were 4-1 up. The fans were magnificent. Everyone was right on top of us. So we had an extra 10%. And I thought, after the first press, you know, you, you heard everyone up. And then I was like, I need to keep going. And, you know, I don't think it was a foul at the end, if I'm honest. Back in, usually I'd run up to the referee and argue, but I was completely <laughs> out of breath. I was just like, get back in position in focus but it was just one of the moments that especially when I went to the centre half because I think everyone now knows how good their goalkeeper is with the ball yeah. so I knew he wasn't going to launch it I knew he was going to take a touch so I knew he would give me you a were a step ahead like, yeah. yeah so luckily like he was so composed on the ball I thought he'd maybe panic but he didn't care but you know obviously it was just it did catch quite a bit of um, you know but apart from the, the fact that because the, if you go from our point of view as much as we learn about football and love football and, and everybody on social media they, everybody loved it because you can really quickly and cheaply say look at that commitment that's fantastic that's what I would do if I but I think we've had enough interviews where we talk about you know what kind of an environment is there under a coach or at a football club and creative risk risk management in your head about what kind of environment is there a blame environment can you you're, you were analysing there or certainly you've got a very good version of what was going through your head at the time there but analytically you were going that's the right thing to do it might be oh but it's, your brain was functioning it, it, are you just like that naturally or is there a, a culture here of acceptance that if you think you're doing the right thing and you take a creative risk if it doesn't quite come off there won't be blame unless it was directly disobeying a tactical order do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah of course I think you know everyone's seen us this season and probably since the managers came in really that you know he likes as soon as we lose the ball then it's all about you know pressing and trying and get that ball back because if we've got the ball then we can control the game mm-hmm. we can't concede goals when we've got the ball we can only score goals really so you know I think from the terms of pressing I don't think he'll ever tell somebody not to press he would maybe prefer that we were hunting in twos and threes instead of just one man pressing but you know, I knew if I was I was to go there, I think it was um, Gini Wijnaldum, I knew he would cover into left-back, I knew somebody would drop into midfield, so from that point of view, if they did get through, then I would just have to get back, but people would have been in my position. That's really to good to know, this is the pre-season training, this is the work yeah. that you've done already, you don't have to look, There'll be sl- the, my smart colleagues... Yeah. We've got the same work ethic. We'll be slotting into where they should be. Yeah, it's not. You know, it's not about. Um, you know, it's about learning other people's positions as well. It's about. You know, if especially. You know, he likes our fullbacks getting forward, and when we go forward, we need protection. Of course, we do because if we go forty yards and put a rubbish cross, then they are on the break. So we need people covering us, and that's the way it always has been. But we also need to cover our centre backs or our mm-hmm. centre mid if they go wandering. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's it's all about learning other people's positions as well as yourselves and. I think, you know, as a squad, we're, we're quite good at that. Do you do extra? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, look, especially after games, I think it's key to, you know, we all get our clips sent out that's just individual clips. And, you know, I'll always take, you know, half an hour out of my time to, to look at them because I think even, you know, the bad stuff, you need to learn your lessons. And that's why you don't, of course, you learn stuff off the good stuff because it makes you feel good. But you learn more off the bad stuff because you think... 
you know, the next time that isn't happening. And, you know, I've always been like that, even when, you know, I was up in Scotland and I was down at Hull, I always kind of took time out to look at that. But, of course, if you think there's an area to improve on, then, um, you know, people do extra outside in the training, and especially, you know, young players, because we're not the finished article. And but some, some coaches, I don't know what your experience is, some coaches say, like, the training session finishes at half 12, you're in the door. Everybody in. We've talked to a number of pros, and you know there are some who had to push back against the coach. Who no, I'm going out to, to hit the ball 25 more times, whether it's a free kick or penalty or shot or cross or whatever. It, are there rules about you know you can't do extra, can do extra, and and you know out there and actually saying I'm taking an extra half hour and everybody else has gone in. I think I don't think the manager will ever stand in your way. Whether it's you know maybe a day before a game or two days before a game, then maybe he's like you know lads everyone in. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know you both got a game in two days and it's not really the time. But especially you know when it's Saturday to Saturday, I think lads do take time out to whether it's on the pitch or off the pitch. You know whether it's gym work or whatever, then sure. they maybe take time out because that's when we've got a longer build up to games. But you know the amount of Saturday Saturday games we've got is very you know it's minimum and when it's three games a week then it's all about getting your body ready really for the game and it's about maybe you know taking it easy but when it's training go 100% and training them and it's over you know get in and, and relax so you know it just depends what you've got on really that week Well if we step away from actual football for a second something special is happening here if I watch from a distance the fact that those four players, one of whom was going out, was the Fab Four. Liverpool will always have a very, very special, strong, um, robust, probably working-class football culture. It's probably one of the most popular and known football cultures anywhere in the world. But as society changes, as people change, I think the atmosphere, it's certainly from when I was younger, the atmosphere has changed here. Yet there's something now where there's more of a fusion between the crowd and the team, or maybe the playing style, or maybe the crowd and the manager and the, and the playing style. And, and, you know, like or not, you seem to be a part of that. And yeah. I guess it's nice that the crowd chants your name or whatever, but what is the relationship between a Liverpool player and the fans? And what does it feel like? And, and do you ever... You never play for it, I suppose, do you? Or I think, I think you always... Look, every player wants the fans on board. And I think, you know, as a squad and as, you know, the 11 that go out there, we all want the fans to get behind us because we know if the fans are behind us at Anfield, then they can give us an extra yard. And I think on Sunday that was a big factor. They maybe put the fear factor into some Man City players, but they gave us an extra 10%. It does impact on you, is that then? 100%, because if you if you know the fans are cheering everything that you do, then you're like, you know, they're behind us. So it gives you maybe that extra yard. It gives you that spring in your step. Wow. But, you know, I think from that point of view that our our squad does that. You know, we don't let our standards drop. So if somebody's maybe slacking a wee bit, we're told straight away. You see the manager, how active he is on the side of the park. I don't want to know what distance he covers in a game either, but, you know, he gets the fans on board, he gets the players, he's always shouting at us, he's always getting us going. And when you've got somebody on the side of the park like that, then it's, if you're ever maybe struggling or whatever, then you can look over and, you know, he'll come on and get you going. And if you can't react to that, then, um, you know, I suppose. You're going to be struggling, yeah. You're going to be struggling in this industry, yeah. And it's the cop. Yeah. I mean, it's the cop. I know. When you're, you know, when you're when you're shooting down and you're going towards the cop, then I think, you know, there's no better feeling. Um, you know, celebrating in front of them and all that, especially you know, like against Everton when we scored late on and stuff. You know, Big Virgil would nod at home and you know all of them going wild and you know the cop's famous and you know if you ask probably every supporter in world football do they know about the cop, then I'm sure they would. Hold up. 
Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Now, your parents are both with us, right? Mm. Um, so I guess it's exciting and emotional for them as proud parents and people who have had a big role in how you've developed. But y- your dad was a good footballer. Yeah, he was, yeah. Up until he had a, um, you know, he had a back problem. But, you know, my uncle played at a decent level and stuff like that. So football's always been based. My dad was good pals with Charlie Nicholas and Jim Duffy. That my was fellow guest on this series, Charlie Nick. Yeah, Charlie Nicholas, who my family and his family are still very close. So, um my dad's always been involved in football and to be fair my mum's always been involved in football both of them had season tickets at Celtic from an early age and me and my brother joined in when I think I got my first season ticket when I was 18 months old at Celtic and up until I was 18 so I've been going all my life but you know obviously when I started playing with Queen's Park and it was Saturdays and I was playing all the time when you know Celtic were playing we had to all give it up because my mum and dad wanted to c- come and support me of course they did and I couldn't go to the games anymore so then you know, their support kind of changed and, um, you know, obviously they always supported me but um, we always went together to Celtic but then they were going to, you know, maybe like the lesser stadiums as such as like your Stranmars and Berwick Rangers to come and watch me. So, you know, they've both been very supportive of me throughout my career. And I was thinking because, you know, I knew that um, Charlie was a family friend and Charlie turned Liverpool down. Yeah. Like sat and explained to us in this same big interview about how Kenny and Graeme Suarez were on the floor and said, this is right for you and... Charlie was just a tiny bit headstrong about I'll go and find my own pad somewhere else and make my own impact. And he talked to us about really how brutally he suffered in London as a youngster and had yeah. a call for his sister to come down and just be with him and be a companion for him because he was lost and lonely, which you'd, you'd never believe about Charlie with his confidence and his yeah. flair and so on and so forth. But mention it, Dad, because presumably Liverpool meant to him what Liverpool kind of means to me at, at my age. You know, the moving, swaying cop... You know the anthem dominating. You'll never walk alone. Dominating everybody's appreciation of social culture in football. So when Liverpool comes along for you, is it extra exciting for him? Did he have a relationship with Liverpool? Did he, you know, Celtic Liverpool is not they're not miles apart. Yeah, I think the only the only relationship we had the the first thing he said to me when it was coming was that there was you know one day that he hated Liverpool in his life and that was because. Kenny Douglas left Celtic. Of course, and that was it. Yeah, and that was the yeah. only reason. And he said, 
once he got over that, and then he supported Kenny Douglas at Liverpool again. So it, that was, you know, he hated it itself to get lost. Such an icon. So I feel that way when when Everton, long before you were born, signed Joey Harper. <laughs> yeah. It took me about twenty years to forgive them. Because really <laughs> yeah. yeah. he was the King Joey of Aberdeen, yeah. you know. And I, I so yeah, I know sure exactly what your dad. Now, now that oh. yeah. But um, you know, obviously for them and for my brother and for my girlfriend and all that, it was you know it was a massive moment for us. And they all came down when I was signing and. We went to, you know, we went on the tour of the the stadium and stuff. Um, not that we needed to know the history of the club, but you know, it was nice to take in and you know it. So you know, they love coming down to the game, they love watching, and um, obviously, you know, hearing my name getting sang and that, you know, it was a proud moment for them. You know, never mind me. You you threw in Queens Park. I'm extremely interested in that because again, across this series, we've talked who would have been the most powerful on it. Maybe Damien Duff, for example, about the atrocious way that kids of his age were treated as apprentices but he wouldn't change a thing of it yeah. and it made him yeah. and he went into some detail including about Kenny Douglish <laughs> about how tough that was at Blackburn and then again and again and again we'll talk to maybe managers in this series who say kids are not made of the same stuff anymore now I guess it must have felt shit that Somebody got it wrong at Celtic and said to you, you're not right for us, you're not, you're not going to make it. And you end up at Queen's Park and you're doing, t- if I'm not wrong, you do a lot of those tasks for a different reason because Queen's Park is a different kind of club, it's an amateur club. Yeah. So you have tasks and work at, at, at Hamden. And it, it might not have felt so good at the time, but I think I'm asking, how did that feel? And do you think looking back on it retrospectively, did it change you or teach you? It was the it was the best thing that happened to me. And now, obviously, looking back on it, like you said, you know, being a kind of boyhood fan of Celtic and stuff, it was obviously tough for everyone. It wasn't you know me and my family getting released and all that, but it was the best thing that happened for me because, like you said, you know, it's hard because I'm still young as well. But you do look at you know kids that are at the big clubs early doors, and there's very few of them that you know, have that kind of, like, old-fashioned stuff, you know. You know, it's, it's partly everyone's problem as well because we've been... We allow them, you know, maybe they pay them too much money, maybe, you know, we don't give them the jobs that, like, all of... Like, I used to, you know, clean... Even when I was at Dundee United, I, you know, I was playing... I got Scotland camp stuff and I was still cleaning boots mm-hmm. because we all got jobs and that mm-hmm. was it. And you had to do it. You got... Obviously, you got rewarded at the end with, you know, a wee... A bung or whatever at the end of the <laughs> season, but off one of the experienced pros but you know that just keeps you on the ground when we had three of us that were doing really well at the time of me Ryan Gold and John Souter they were obviously two years younger than me but you know it did keep us on the ground because we're thinking right I've scored a goal at the weekend right Monday cleaning the boots after the game you're cleaning you know the experienced pros and it helped us massively and at Queen's Park obviously we've done the same and I think that's maybe gone now um because you know the you know the higher up you go, um, even when I was at Hull and stuff, you know the young lads didn't really have any jobs or anything like that, and you know they maybe just get you know they maybe just get comfortable. It's important, I think, to keep them all hungry, and they should be hungry anyway. But keeping them on their feet, and hard work and, and slightly unpleasant yeah, tasks, yeah, make you dig a bit yeah, it's deeper. It's not like it's no secret, you know, footballers are obviously wrapped in cotton wool as such, and they yeah. don't really know what the kind of world's like and. You know, whether that's like sweeping the changing and cleaning boots or whatever, then, you know, it's a task that people don't like doing, but it's something that I think, as an apprentice, you should be doing. Daryl Garrity, a great supporter of the podcast. Who was your hero and who did you model your game on? Well, I wouldn't say I modelled my game on, but 
as any Celtic fan growing up in my age, my hero was Henrik Larsson, of course it was. Um, what he'd done for our club was uh, unbelievable and I think everyone loved him. What did he do for your club? Describe him. He took him, to, you know, he basically, I wouldn't say he carried our club because we had a really good squad then, mm. but likes of, you know, Stan Petrov and Chris Sutton and John Hartson and all these top players, Neil Lennon, but for him to stay at Celtic for so long, especially when, you know, a lot of big clubs were after him, was was brilliant and you know he just the amount of goals he scored and you know especially that you know when we got to the UEFA Cup final um, the amount of goals he scored in the campaign and, and obviously you know everyone was gutted that you get beat in the final to Porto but I think no more so than him after scoring two goals you would think that would be enough but mm. obviously that was the start of Jose Mourinho and, and Porto they went on to win the Champions League the next year as well but you know what a career and what, what a player and it was one that that's why Parkhead was probably sold out because of Henrik Larsson. And um, did you watch how he played though? Yeah, I think he's you know his movement, his, his finishing, his finishing was incredible. You know, he, he knew when to when to chip it, when to blast it. When he, and for somebody that was you know five foot, whatever he was mm-hmm. in the air, he was it defies belief. What, oh, what a leap he had! But you know, I was quite fortunate because obviously I was growing up, and at that time I didn't know I wanted to be a fullback. You know, I played in, in numerous of positions because. You know, you were probably playing with three teams at that time, so you played all different positions. But you know, I was quite fortunate that I got to work under and watch, you know, Jackie McNamara because he was, you know, a great fullback for Celtic. Both he and his dad were classy footballers. Yeah, and to work under him at Dundee United for my first professional year set me in good stead, and I'll always stand by that. And since then, I've been, you know, I've been really lucky to have such good coaching. Um, Henrik came to. I was very fortunate. Again, I was in Barcelona. Henrik came to Barcelona, and I knew what a good player he was. But to see Henrik Larsson getting a bigger cheer when he came on than Ronaldinho was getting yeah. at that club, that demanding club with legends everywhere, and for them, he broke his leg in the November Classico in his first season, was out, watched the system, had learned it by the time he came back in, and in a season and a half, utterly stole their hearts, everybody around the club. It was a truly extraordinary phenomenon. He's obviously, he's a good role model to learn from, but I did want to get from you whether you'd taken things from his playing style and applied it to your attitude or your movement that's I don't, well, I definitely don't have the finishing that he does <laughs> nowhere near it <laughs> I, I would love to but um, no from that you know his attitude was well from a fan watching you could tell his attitude was spot on because he didn't want to miss a game and when he was injured he was gutted and, and when he came back he was in top condition like you just said and and that, I think that sums up a you know a top pro. Chuny uh, Yan um, says for Andy Robson, how different is it playing for Liverpool as compared to Hull? Is there a huge difference in culture and facilities? Maybe the the, the facilities um, comparison is a bit unfair, but what, what did Hull and Steve Bruce teach you? And um, how did it feel? Make, did you make your Premier League debut against the reigning champions and beat them against Leicester? No, no, no. That wasn't my that wasn't my Premier League debut because. We got relegated the first season I was there. Right. My Premier League debut was against QPR away. We won one 0 but the first game was against Leicester when we got promoted again. But um, no, my first game was QPR away. What um, kind of experience was that? It was it was brilliant. I don't think um, I was only in the door a week, and we played against Stuttgart in a friendly, and I managed, we play, I played wing back, and I managed to score at the back post, and um, and then on the Friday just before the game, Liam Rosinha, the right back, he was going to play left back for the game against QPR and he I think he injured his hip or something and then the gaffer had pulled me in the morning Saturday and said look I'm going to throw you in and you know straight away you start thinking like you know this is the Premier League and you just you just start thinking you hope it goes well and everything and 
we won one nil. We kept a clean sheet. I think I cleared one off the line, and you know I played well, and that that just set me in good stead for Hull. Um, you know I obviously gained the manager's trust massively in that first game because that's what it's all about, and um, from there I don't think I really looked back. You ever get nervous? I don't. I wouldn't say I get nervous in terms of you know I'm shaking to go out or whatever, but. You do, there's, there's different games that you get a wee bit you know a wee fire in your belly and I, I, I always have fire in belly whoever I'm playing but it's it's adrenaline bit, yeah. like for instance you know the derby and against Man City you, you know there was a wee bit and like when Scotland played England you know it's one of the games that you knew you're like this is a big game here we go join and and it's just about all using that kind of you know that energy in the right way because you know some people can use it in the wrong way yeah. some people can use it in the right way and I think that's where I'm quite good because you know I can I can usually I can use it in the right way and and put in um, you know a good performance. I, I go back to the Hull thing. What did Hull and Steve Bruce teach you? Steve Bruce done you know a lot for me because the character, eh? Big character. I, yeah. I'm a fan. I yeah. like him. He's great, been very good to me over the years. You know, great character, and I think you know he's he's good to he's good to a lot of people. I think in the squad, he has this personality that. All these players just want to, you know, run through a brick wall for, and that's that's why Steve Bruce is such a successful manager because he has that, he has that about him. And um, you know, I was gutted when he left Hull, you know, obviously for one reason or another. But um, you know, I actually met him on holiday uh, this summer and I had a good chat with him. And you know, he was just telling me if I ever need advice, then give me a phone. And you know, he was such an influential figure that I've had. And um, you know, I think it was what two two and a bit years I had under him and. You know, it was. Um, it ended in promotion, of course, and it was. Um, in in a, a promotion, not just like that, a goal in the semi final. Yeah. For you. And an own goal in the second leg. Okay, let's just <laughs> strike that for the record. <laughs> yeah. But the 3 0 first leg win was enough to cover out that 2 0 yeah. second leg defeat. And own goals don't count. Yeah, if you don't go count. through. Exactly. If you go count. through. And then the final. What kind of experience is that? I mean, joyous and you win, but that must be a big coming of age moment when you play with that much pressure. Also, people talk about the amount of money that's on. Is there more pressure in that game? When I look back on that day, I hated it up until seven o'clock at night when the final was really? really? The problem, the problem with that game was what you want is it's an early kickoff because you don't really sleep at night. Yep. It's the yep. adrenaline, and yep. you know, all the lads were up early. We had to wait till five fifteen. It was roasting hot and all that, but. You know, and the city probably for the week before is, oh, is but, just but on you. It was it was bouncing. Um, you know the city was, and you know obviously we like you know I think the Sheffield Wednesday fans were brilliant that day. I, I will stand by that they were magnificent. <laughs> the Hull fans, you know, they were outnumbered, but you know they made their noise when they had to. But you know I think as a footballer you don't think a lot like from the outside. Everyone says you know this is the hundred million pound game or whatever. But me. You don't really think about that. You just think we've got a chance here of you know walking up the steps at Wembley, winning at, at, you know this massive stadium, and and our whole season could lead up to what we've tried to achieve. And that was the biggest thing for us. That was that was the biggest thing for us because we knew we didn't want to disappoint. We had a good squad that season. Really looking back on it, we should have probably been more contenders to going up automatically. Yeah. But once we got in the playoffs. Derby were a bogey team that season. They mm. beat us at home three 0 and we get beat away four 0 So we were a wee bit, you know, we need to get by Derby. We need to get the, but you know that. So that first game, that first game was gigantic. Mass- that first game was massive for us, and luckily we came out the blocks and we blew them away. And then the second leg, we were we had a lead to protect, mm. and we should have been better because we should have just went, you know what, it's now now try and go and I win the game. I remember watching it and I was thinking that that that. 
all over the place. Don't know which what, twist yeah. or stick. Because we got in at 2-0 at half-time and I remember the gaffer walking in and for the, that was the first time I think he didn't really know what to say because we had, like, all he'd said during the week and the 10 days leading up to this game was, uh, goes out the window. We need the boys to, like, we need to come out of this shell. Start nil nil again. Because it was hard because in the, even the first half when they went 2-0 up, you know, we were wasting time with throw-ins and stuff and I, just, I couldn't get my head around it no, I'm like, we're 2-0 no. down here. That's what it is, and that was my first real. That was my first real experience of you know a two-legged tie. But match management is a difficult art. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and I think you know we've got. I think I've well, I've got better at it. Um, you know, we obviously we got to the League Cup semi-final last season with two legs over Man United, and it was a wee bit better and stuff like that. But um, you know, that was my first experience, and it was really hard to get your head around because you're thinking you're two 0 down here, but you're going through. So relax. And I remember Derby had a massive chance early on in the second half and I think if they took that I don't think we would have got there did you talk to yourself during games? that game I did <laughs> that game I was trying to shake myself up and mm. shake everyone else up because we all went in a shell there was not one of us that performed that night but at the end of the day the objective was to get to Wembley and we'd done it Are you? and with that I remember after their big chance I think it was about 50 minutes it was Craig Bryson came off his shin and he just put it wide and then after that they never had a chance and we had a couple of chances and then that's when I felt 70 minutes or so we were I thought we were there I thought we were quite comfortable and you hated the, the you know the tension or the, the long wait and the, the heat but the, the day of the final ends well a talented Scott scores I think if I'm right is it Snodgrass scores no he scores up. in the final Diami Diami Snodgrass set it up yeah. very talented footballer I had a golden chance as well I missed another goal about 7 yards out I think it was the ball was bobbling to be fair it was a it's a terrible it picture was a oh, terrible, famously terrible tatty field aye, <laughs> yeah. aye, aye. But, um, who could expect you to finish that one to be fair that day we can we controlled that game I thought that was a good side just better on the day we were even though it was 1-0 and it was tight we were we were a good team and we had chances and we can I don't think Chef Wednesday really had a uh, shot on target sure. The only thing was the last 10 minutes they brought, I don't know if you remember, that season they had about four massive strikers that big, Nahu or whatever he Yeah, I know you About mean. six foot six and he came on and then the big other lad came on and we were just hanging, Jao I think his name was, he, we were hanging on and hanging on and then, you know, the final whistle, it's just, it's party time. Finishing on this, um, you know, your dad was a little bit cross at Liverpool for <laughs> saying to Ken Douglas, but Kenny's still a big, a big presence here. Do you notice that? Do you, do you hear from him? Do you see him around? Yeah, he, t- he, texts, he texts me quite a lot. Um, he actually, he, he texts me after the game against Man City and he pressed the FaceTime button by mistake at 23.55 <laughs> and he was FaceTiming me. And, you know, it was one of the moments uh, I was asleep and I woke up in the morning and, I, like, you still like, showed my, my girlfriend straight when I was like, look, like, that's Kenny Dalglish and that's just, like, it's like, wow, but, like, you know, he's... He's been he's been brilliant for me since the day I went in, and you know he's always asked you know him and his wife about you know are me and my girlfriend sitting in as you know my kids is he okay did we need anything everything like that and that's that's the kind of man he is obviously um, I was lucky enough to be at the game that the stand got unveiled and it was obviously a proud moment for him and his family but it just shows you what um, impact he had on this club and you know obviously I know it from Scottish football he's got a massive impact on you know Celtic and Scottish football as a whole and what a player he was from what my dad and that say so you know unfortunately I wasn't I'm not old enough to quite know how he played but and I now know him on a personal level and as a man you know you couldn't ask for for much better 
you seem to me to be carrying on the, the Scottish legacy quite nicely. Um, <laughs> a fabulous pleasure to watch uh, a Scotsman who plays football the way I like to watch it, for club and country. <laughs> and uh, not a surprise, given the research we did, to find that you talk about the game um, as entertainingly as you play it. Uh, Andy Robson, thank you very much. Thank you very much. That was great fun. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Big Interview. It's produced by me, which sounds egotistical, but it's also true, Graham Hunter, and Backpage. Our music is by Beer Jacket, who else? Editing by Charlie McGarry. Thank you to our hosts at Acast and our loyal sponsors at Bet365. We're also supported by our socios. Find out how to become a socio, how to support us at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Here end of the lesson. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.